Folgers aroma roasted coffee made from mountain-grown beans richly roasted and finely ground for great waking up aroma. Oh, what that aroma can do brought a day for me and you. The best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup. Would you like to know what really is the best part of waking up early? Nothing. There is absolutely nothing good about waking up early. All right, I'm glad we've settled that. So when do you wake up? Are you an early-to-bed, early-to-rise kind of person, or are you more of a night owl, burning the midnight oil and sleeping in? There was a study that was done about 15 years ago that, in fact, old Ben Franklin, well, he had it wrong. They found that both men and women who were night owls versus the early birds had larger incomes. And a subsequent study a year later found that night owls actually outperformed the early birds in terms of intelligence tests. I don't know about that. I mean, saying I'll get up early to get something done and then in the morning convincing myself that it really wasn't that important, yeah, it seems pretty smart to me. Anyway, this is a little different than what I'd like to ask. I want to know, when do you wake up to an idea? Are you a person that has to have every single shred of data and evidence before you grasp onto an idea? Or are you more of a gut reaction, intuitive? It sounds like a good idea, so yeah, let's move on that. When do you wake up to new ideas? Now, I don't mean do. I mean wake up to the idea itself. It's easy to confuse this with the different phases of innovation, such as innovator and early adopter and early majority and laggards, etc. Between the idea and the execution, there's a gap, usually called execution gap. So what I think is more interesting than the execution gap is where do we fall on the spectrum of waking up to the idea? Are we already late to the idea before we even face the execution gap? Or are we trying to jump the execution gap before we've really thought it through? And that's the theme of our show today. Waking up to ideas. Good ones. Bad ones. And the ones where we realize, holy smokes, we're already late for work. And so with that, the alarm's going off, the coffee's brewing, and I smell the sweet, sweet bacon that is the start of our little breakfast show. So you ready to roll out of bed and get to work? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 138 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, July 3rd, 2016. And with me, as always, is my friend, my co host, my colleague, and the night owl of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend, and happy 4th of July? Well, happy 4th to you as well. And uh, and I am sort of a night owl because I stayed out very late last night. Do you know what I was doing I last no, night? I have no I, I I know what you were doing last night, but our wonderful audience. Audience does not. You were getting down to. I'm going to Hamilton. I'm going to get my Spamilton. I'm going to get my Jamilton. I'm going to get my Lamilton. <laughs> well, I'm anyone that reads my... <laughs> anything that I've done on CMI or the Continent Podcast knows that I'm the biggest fan of the show. No, I don't know. There's a lot of fans out there for Hamilton, but I love right. uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. 
when he did In the Heights, uh, which won a Tony in 2008. And now, of course, That's Hamilton, right. which I think everybody knows about by now. But we were able... And of course... No, go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. We're gonna... Yeah, I was going to say, now, of course, the CMI has been acquired. You can afford tickets to it, too. too. <laughs> exactly. So It was actually a gift from somebody, so we didn't... Actually, oh, nice. Yeah, it oh, was it was a gift from somebody. Oh, well, I guess mine got lost in the mail then. From, I go, where? What the heck is that all about? It was a gift from, from somebody that, that would like more business from us, and I gladly took it. <laughs> oh, all right, then. Uh, I mean, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. but it was, it was fantastic. Uh, we took the kids, of course, my, both my sons love, we've been listening to the soundtrack since forever and being able to go and watch it. And, and I don't know if you know this, but July 9th is the last date that Lin-Manuel Miranda will be performing. I, I do. Yeah. And I course, do know this. I, there yeah. were the, you know, it, the, 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 the clock was running. I'm like, we've got to go see it. So we were able to see it last night. And curiously enough, and I just told you this, that Bill and Hillary Clinton were in Well, there attendance. you go. And extra security. It was wild because we're sitting there 15 minutes ahead of time and everybody stands up and they're cheering and everybody's got their smartphones out taking video. And we're like, what's going on? And finally, I sent, you know, sent the boys down there. I was like, go find out what's going on. And of course, it was uh, right. It was uh, Mr. and Mrs. Clinton. So there you go. Well, it's a star-studded event. Then Joe Polizzi and the Clintons. I mean, come on now. I that know. it doesn't get doesn't. It get. does not get more red carpety than oh, that. Oh man, I I I can I highly recommend it. It was one of those experiences that uh, I'll treasure forever, especially seeing it with the family. So that's awesome. I'm glad the kids got to see it too. That's that's really oh, cool. Oh, they were they were more excited than I was, and I was really excited. So it was it was it was pretty amazing to see all that. So Oh, super, super, super. And uh okay, we've got a couple things to mention. First of all, I have yeah. to mention this because I got this twice this week. I was talking with somebody by Content Marketing World coming up in September, and they were listeners of the podcast because we were talking about it, of course, on this week's last week's podcast. And they said they both asked what PNR stood for. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because we say PNR all the time. Like, and I just need to mention everyone, I love you so much. PNR stands for Polizzi and Rose, right? And maybe we it should would be say clearer if it was R and P. Well, but I don't know. I'm, you know, yeah. I'm just saying. But maybe I'm, we I, should know. just maybe we should just forget it and just go with this old marketing. I, yeah, maybe. It's it, maybe it's time. I like it in the logo, though. I like the way I it looks do in like the logo. The PNR. You know, RNP would be nice, but P does come before R in the alphabet, which is the only reason why we did it that way. I just oh, I see. Just, All right, you know. <laughs> that's good rationalism. <laughs> can't do NPR. Um, so anyway, so I just wanted to get that out of the way. Stands for Polizzi yeah. and Rose. Right. Maybe someday Rose and Polizzi. But the other thing is, we've got another you know episode sponsor. Uh, special thanks to our friends at Hrefs. And again, we took a look at the tool, and it's very, very impressive. And if you want to get found in Google and understand who's li- linking to you and understand the competition and how they're being ranked and all that kind of stuff, you want to give Hrefs a try. And, of course, you're a, you're a fan of the name. I know that. Oh, I am a fan of, of them because it's, it's old school. That's right old there. school. That's definitely old school. So give Hrefs a try if uh, this sounds interesting to you. They have a 14-day free trial available. And if you go to cmi.media slash PNR138A, <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> PNR138A, PNR listeners get a 30% discount usage off of the Hrefs tool. So thank you to Hrefs for uh, sponsoring our little show today. Give them a try when you can, and that's A-H-R-E-F-S dot com. So thank you to them. There it is. And uh, did we have uh, did we have any 
news this week? We do. We have lots of things that we can make hypertext references to. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh boy. Yeah. Nobody's That's what like the HRF stands for. Like, by the way, kids, that? if you're if you're wondering. Uh, we do have lots of news to talk about this week, and a first story we're going to um, put at the top of the show comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. Big hat tip here to Jim McLeod, at Jim McLeod, that's M-A-C-L-E-O-D on Twitter. Um, thank you very much, Jim, for sending this over via the hashtag. It is Thrillist's Content Marketing Division, and we talked about that on the show when they actually launched mm-hmm. that, is launching a booze-focused site. Um, the article starts off by saying, like many digital media companies, last year, Thrillist Media Group announced that it had built out a dedicated division tasked to creating content for marketers. The group, the Colab, helps Thrillist make videos and articles for brands like General Electric that appear on Thrillist.com. But now the collab is launching Supercall, a full-fledged digital publication, one that was sparked by advertiser interest and will exist as an independent editorial property. The new site, which goes live Tuesday, focuses on spirits, um, the alcohol spirits, not the ghostly kind, (laughs) covering everything from how to make proper Negroni to drinking culture in the newly West-connected Cuba. The liquor company Diageo, which manages a stable of brands ranging from Tangeray to Smirnoff, has signed on as a charter sponsor of Supercall. As a three-year commitment, the collab team will produce content for the new site on behalf of Diageo brands, and Thrillist has committed to supplying third-party research to help Diageo gauge the effectiveness of these ads. So what say you? Is this, uh, is this, the, is this what we've been talking about for a long time? I mean, this seems... This seems really interesting, right? We talked about a publishing company doing a publication on spec, and here we go. We got one. You know, at first when I read this, I'm like, I didn't know why this was news. Now, I get it, right? I I get why we're talking about this, because this is a new way for media companies to launch new verticals, if you will. So they they basically said, okay, well, who out there is interested? We know that our millennials that were, you know, that Thrillist is trying to target okay, they would be interested in this. Do we have enough sponsors to support that? They go out, they find Diageo to float half that boat, and they say, oh, good, we can launch this. So there's there's a couple things. First, great move by Thrillist, because instead of what normally happens is they would have Diageo like fully fund something like this as a custom content effort, and Thrillist would have no assets in it. They would just be doing work for hire. That's generally how it's been done. But in this case, they... They go ahead and they get Diageo and they say, okay, well, if this is of interest, we can get a bunch more. So now they've created a revenue and profit producing vertical, if you will, where they're building an audience. And this is great. It's going to be new, uh, new revenue stream from them. Fantastic. And at the same time, I'm like, shame on Diageo, right? Shame on uh, General Electric or what, whatever all the other companies that they're listed that are going to be sponsoring some of these things because they could be doing that themselves. And after the two, three years, they're not going to have anything to show for it. Probably. Well, here's what I hope. Right? Well, here's what I hope. I hope, I hope, if I'm Diageo, I'm hoping, and I, I, I realize I may be tilting a bit at windmills here for Diageo, but I'm hoping what they did is did a rent to own, right? So they say, so they go to Thrillist and say, hey, listen, build this thing. We'll commit to it for three years. You commit to it for three years. We'll pay you some amount of money to sponsor this thing. We'll, le- we'll lean on your expertise to be able to build this and market it and, and, and make it successful. And then if it's successful, Diageo buys the whole thing. And 
I if if I were Diageo, I'm hoping that's how they're thinking. And and if they if they do that, then it's the best of both worlds, right? They basically rent the place, invest in it, and if it works, they buy it, and if it doesn't, they jettison it. And and but I, I I'm I'm skeptical that that's what they did, but I'm hoping that that's what well, they that, did. Well, if that was the case, that would be brilliant. That might even be the best alternative of all. Because right, like, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, if you, if you were going to go and launch this as Diageo, it would be politically challenging, let's say, to do something like that. Because you, you usually, if you're going to do something like that, it's usually around some kind of a product launch. You might get 9 to 12 months of budget. Uh, they don't like to keep this going for two to three years, but you can do a partnership with a media company for two That's to three right. years. That's right, exactly. It's not unprecedented to do that. So if that was the case and they said, oh, let, you know, let's get this thing off the ground, they can build an audience, and then we can just go ahead and just buy them out. Oh, that that's tremendous. I seriously doubt that's going to happen. Uh, now I really <laughs> want it to happen. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm hopeful that that's. So if there's anybody who works for Diageo um, uh, or any of the brands that knows anything about this, it would be great to hear from you. But yeah, I I'm hopeful that they at least have something like that in place. Um, some or at least some kind of exclusivity, um, because truly the value here. I mean, I was glad to see, and this was sort of a throwaway line where it says, "And Thrillist has committed to supply third-party research to help Diageo gauge the effectiveness." Um, and it's uh, the the weirdly phrase there says of these ads. Um, I'm assuming they mean the content that they're going to be creating. In other words, they're sort of doing native within a native piece, right? So they're sponsoring the whole site, and then they're going to have these Diageo-focused. And the article goes on to actually talk about the percentage of content that they're going to have and how independent the journalism is going to be, and it's going to be very, very independent in the way that it's run. And Diageo has no control over the editorial and blah, 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 and very separate. But at some point, they've got some influence over some native content that's going in there, and we can see, right, which ones are driving, you know, subscriptions, which ones are driving engagement. And the research here is the really valuable thing as they start building up an audience here, the research into what content is resonating. They mm-hmm. can use it to test um, advertising. They can use it to test creative. They can use it. There's lots of value to be derived before they actually get to the critical point of creating an audience. And I hope they've thought through all of that well, because it's it's a fantastic it's a fantastic effort if so what i would hope is a part of this is that thrillist will be creating the content specifically for diageo and that's what and they said that. Yeah. i think they say that because if that's yeah. not the case and you just said oh diageo you can have access to x number of inventory from a content standpoint they'll never do it well then it's they never yeah, that's do it silly right that's just silly yeah i'm i'm very very hopeful that's not the case so interesting yeah it's yeah. we're gonna <laughs> If you were launching a media company, by the way, this is the best, the absolute best way to do it. And by the way, just a little hint, hint, that's exactly how we launched CMI. So it's, yeah, that's right. And our benefactor I mean, exactly model right. is exactly this model where we were looking for underwriters and we said, okay, well, you can get X percent of inventory. You can get access to the editorial as long as it's approved by our department, all that kind of stuff. Go play with somebody else's money. It's, it's just, it's just a great way to launch a, a and, but I'm very suspect of your theory, <laughs> but I would love it for it to happen. So, are you pairing this with something? I am pairing this with something. Yes, we are. We are going to pair this with another article because it just felt really nice in terms of 
um, the little sandwich here. Um, another article that actually appeared also last week in the Wall Street Journal, um, which is um, the uh, another male-oriented web publisher. So just you know to talk about thrillers here for a second, but a male-oriented web publisher, Woven Digital, raised $18.5 million. So here's a media company, a digital media company, where we've got, you know, hurting and econ- economic, you know, strife and stress and all of that. Well, here's a media company that just raised $18 million. Bucks. Um, and the article opens up by saying, Woven Digital, which owns a stable of young male-focused websites like Bro Bible and Uproxx, has raised $18.5 million Series B funding, to invest in more video production and more content verticals. The founding round was led by WPP Ventures, and this is to me what the interesting news item is here, an investment arm of WPP, the giant ad agency. Mm-hmm. Other investors include institutional venture partners and advance it capital. Um, and so my take on this, so this, this feeds a little bit into my rant and rave later, but we've been, you and I and this show have been talking for the last, I don't know, month and a half or six weeks, um, talking about the how agencies aren't getting it and agencies aren't you know when was an agency going to start launching a publication in other words we have all these media companies launching agencies well when was an agency going to start to launch a publication and i think to some extent we've got that here this is an announcement that where wpp is a holding company for all of these classic madison avenue agencies and here they are investing and taking the lead in the round to a, you know, a very, you know, young focused male oriented in this case, uh, digital publisher. And so I think it's fascinating. The other two, by the way, institutional venture partners is a classic Silicon Valley startup, usually a late round, um, funding company. But the interesting one is the advance it capital, which is, you know, very quietly just mentioned in the second paragraph there is actually Sherry Redstone's um, uh, venture venture fund. So the Redstone family, of course, of National Amusements and Viacom fame, that's there. So this media company combination, advertising combination startup, you know, these three sort of things coming together and looking at a um, woven digital as a publishing company as a as a good investment. And I, I just think it's a fascinating um, event. And especially when we look at it in terms of here we go with, you know, the Diageo and, uh, and Thrillist launch, this is, you know, these are sort of two things, two data points on the way to something very, very interesting. I wonder if this is, do you, do you think that, uh, a brand like they mentioned HP in this, right? So HP spent, right. yep. you know, sponsored, I'm sure they spent six figures plus on the, the Uproxx, uh, deal that they did. Uh, do you think that an HP could create sort of a, uh, holding enterprise like this, that this is an investment, uh, group instead of buying one straight out? Do you think that brands are going to start doing this? Do you think this is the first time that agent, like where, where do you think this takes us? Is this a signal of more to come? Like, what do you, what do you think? I, absolutely. I think this is a signal of more to come, you know, so it, it, it strikes me that, you know, I'm starting to hear, and maybe this is just a, 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 a result of me talking about this more, so I'm starting to hear about it more. You know, it's one of those things when you, when you buy a new car, all of a sudden, that's the only car you see on the road kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it's just a, a result of me thinking about this and talking about it more. But the more I, I'm hearing about acquisitions happening in 
the media world, publishing world, by brands that are thinking about doing acquisitions of, of, of media companies. Now, big technology companies, this is you know where my expertise starts to shallow out really quickly here, but I know technology companies do have you know either investment funds or venture sort of side businesses where they do stuff like this. You know, Walmart has a, a big venture and innovation center, and I know HP does. Um, Open Text has one. You know, there are there are many big technology and other kinds of companies that have these kinds of funds, small venture funds and or innovation centers or whatever you want to call them set up to invest in startup companies and sort of nurture them along. So it would not surprise me to see them start to do this more and more with media companies because quite frankly, if you look at something like, you know, look at something like Adobe with CMO.com, right? Why that hasn't happened sooner with another big technology company, you know, I mean, CMO.com basically came along for the ride with the acquisition of Omniture yeah. when Adobe acquired Omniture. But, you know, it, why they why that hasn't happened again is, is a little baffling to me where you see a big technology company really going out with a high profile media Organization, so yeah, I, I do think it's going to start. I th- I do think we're going to start to see it more often. Well, I it's just different, right? I mean, I was in a very large company this last week, talking to a group of senior marketing executives, and I did my whole pitch about basically content marketing as a profit center. Right. And so I was talking about that. I was talking about you know buying media companies and 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 monetizing subscribers in multiple ways. And basically, talked about models like Red Bull, where you know, yeah, they're selling more cans, but they monetize through subscriptions, and they monetize through events, and they monetize through advertising. And I said, you know, if you look at the value of a subscriber, you can monetize that subscriber in four or five, six different ways. And I think that's what the future is going to be. And the guy's sitting right there in the front row, and he says, "I don't buy it." I said. You don't buy it. What? What don't you buy? What don't like, you buy? I, I said, "What don't you buy?" I mean, like, what do you want more examples? He's like, "I just don't think that that's something that that we could do." It just, I think it's just, uh, you know, like, and basically was talking about you know the LinkedIn Microsoft thing, which I use it as an example. And I said, "Well, just sure. put that for if you think that that's an anomaly, put that to a side to the side for a second. And look at all the look at L'Oreal and Makeup.com and look at uh, Baby Center and J and J. But you know, baby, right. they bought that from eToys right. and just go yep. down the list of this happening. And you look at Adorama buying JPEG magazine and on and on and on. And I said, this is not a new thing. It's just nobody's talking about it. And right. us in marketing, we just don't think about it. We don't think about like if what if you what if the future actually is marketing as a profit center? It's right. not that exactly. far fetched. It's not that far fetched. It's not that far fetched. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, not to not to not to beat on this too much, but you know, this is this is what the book is about. The the book that Carla and I wrote. You know, this is this is what we talk about. Is is that the the vision of this thing is marketing doesn't have it, it, it doesn't mean by the way that we're replacing everything it doesn't mean that we're replacing advertising or social media or direct marketing yeah. it doesn't mean that all those things go away it just means that they can be supported foundationally with an ability for us to you know so to your point this has been happening forever i mean companies have buying mag been buying magazines before the internet companies have been buying you know other kinds of publications even after the internet this has been happening, but the reason is is because they're throwaway transactions for the most part. These are small parts of big deals or just small deals. Yeah. Right. In other words, when TD Ameritrade buys um, Thinkorswim, 
everybody reports on that was the technology platform that they purchased for whatever hundreds of millions of dollars that they bought it for. But yes, they also got a magazine, a print magazine called Think Money Magazine, and they also got a digital platform called Thinkorswim, which was a content platform. And in those kinds of things, right? When J&J buys Baby Center, eh, it's 2001 and nobody's really paying attention to that. And by the way, it's a rounding error on their marketing budget yeah. of how much they spent for that. And so these are small deals or small deals within bigger deals. The CMO.com came along for the ride for, you know, for the Omniture acquisition and so on and so forth. I, I think you and I are both saying and both definitely firmly agree that this is becoming a more important part of the overall marketing strategy. So thus, every it's not that it hasn't existed. It's just that it's becoming a more interesting and important part of what we're doing in marketing. And thus, it we can start to look at it a little more strategically and start really linking these things together. And no, not replacing marketing strategy sort of you know, front and center, but actually enhancing what we're doing by adding these, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, most of these many B2C companies that spend in the hundreds of millions of dollars in advertising every single year and rinse and repeat on advertising campaigns that never build any investment value for the company could simply take one or two or five or six percent of their advertising budget and buy something that actually does make money, that actually does, maybe it doesn't make a huge profit. You know, Crafts Food and Family Magazine, um, you know, basically it's not, you know, it's not an overwhelmingly big ATM machine that prints money for Heinz, but it does help allay some of the costs that they have in marketing because it does help pay for itself. That's the kind of thinking that makes this really interesting, I think. Uh, if, you know, going back to the sample from, I was talking to the guy and, I basically asked what's, what his background was, and he came from an agency and a marketing background. And I basically said, right. look, I said, no offense, but if you came from a publishing background, you would think this would made so much sense. It wouldn't even be, be, wouldn't even be funny. You'd be like, absolutely, this makes too much sense. It's, and I think it's just because we're just not thinking about it. You just don't if as a marketer you think oh we need to do it this way it's and it comes back to, even back to your book where you talk about change management being such a huge right. issue it's just it's different and different is this is the it's reason why we're, we're not yeah. doing a lot of these things so yeah anyway. it's just different you know and that's the uh, you know not to get off on a rant but this is what we've done as marketers right as a guy who has been a practitioner of marketing for and i just celebrated my 50th birthday so oh uh, that's right we forgot I, to talk I, about I, your wonderful well, happy whatever. birthday <laughs> yeah, thank you very much but yeah so so 30 years i've been doing this 30 years so nobody can go well back in the day no i can say back in the day now i get to be like the get off my lawn back in the day guy now i can tell you for 30 years the process of marketing the process what we do hasn't changed the platforms have changed the way the tactics have changed the way that we deal with all all these things have changed but we still operate in the same rinse and repeat war-minded campaign tactic front lines back lines all these things same orientation as we have before and the and the companies that really get it are the ones and the ones that are outperforming are changing the process of marketing. They're 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 figuring out that marketing in silos is not a good way to do this, and they're they're changing their process, their approach 
to the marketing function. And that's well, I, that's what we're talking about here. Well, and what's what I think is most interesting when you throw out names like, oh, yeah, of course, Red Bull. And of course, Lego. They can do these things. Well, when you really look at what they're doing, they're not doing anything amazingly innovative. They're They're basically just publishing relevant, compelling content on a consistent basis and building right. content brands. That's really all, right. all they're doing. They're like, oh, we couldn't do what Red Bull does. What, you can't publish content consistently? I mean, like, what? <laughs> they're not, right. it's just, exactly. it's not that much of a movement. But anyways. Yeah. What do yeah, we know? Exactly. What do we know? know? We don't know. We don't. <laughs> well, we actually do. Because here, here we go. Now, in the in the whole spirit of when we're right, we're right. And, you know, you and I were talking before the show and we were like, oh, we, you know, are we going to cover this again? And yeah, we're going to cover it again because it's news. The next story comes from CNN.com. So now you know it's important when, when CNN reports Oh, come on. on. <laughs> you know it must be. When, when we're going to have, I'm Wolf Blitzer, and this is what Facebook wants you to know about oh my changing God. algorithms. Um, I don't do a good Wolf Blitzer. Native advertising anyway, so, in the news today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is the situation room. And so here's the situation room for Facebook, what they would like you to know about their changing algorithm. That's what we'll link to, although a number of publishing outlets... Of reported on this because, quite frankly, it is pretty big news. Facebook is changing yet again. The, the sortie doesn't say this, but we can say this yet again. The newsfeed algorithm to prioritize posts from users' friends at the expense of publishers that rely on referral traffic from the site. At the same time, the company on Wednesday is publishing its newsfeed values. I love that. A new document that outlines its approach to the ranking algorithm. The number one value connecting people with their friends and family as long as you pay for it no i'm sorry um they didn't say that the document says the number two value is providing information like news stories and number three is providing entertainment like a facebook live videos and funny photos um, the document also describes the news feed as a platform for all ideas and says we don't favor specific kinds of sources or ideas Unless you pay for it. No, they didn't say that either. I'm just making that last part up. So what do you, I mean, what do you think, Joe? I mean, here we go. I mean, for you and I, this is here we go again. But I mean, the world finally seems to be going, oh, right. This was, this is Facebook yet again, pulling the rug out from underneath publishers who are trying to get organic and or paid reach with their, with their content. Yes, I am shocked, Robert. I am <laughs> just, I just yeah. can't believe even after we've been talking about this for three years, uh, that this is happening. You know, my, the funniest thing in this article where it says, um, whoever the spokesperson was, not for Facebook, that says that this is a, oh, a publisher or something, acknowledged that this is a, a small but notable, oh, a noticeable but very small change. You know, we've had a thousand of these noticeable but yeah, small exactly. changes. It's, it's basically accumulated into a huge thing. And basically what it means is – and what, what I thought was interesting is because last week – was it last week where we talked about how Facebook is paying publishers and thought leaders yes, for content? that's exactly. For the okay. videos, yep. Yeah. Yep. So basically here's the way it's going. Here's the way it's going down if you're, if you're not familiar with, with how this is going to happen. <laughs> basically if you're a brand, if you're a brand, you have no access and you don't now. You didn't yesterday and you don't – you even have less tomorrow. But you, you pretty much can almost go to, to perfect zero with – uh, doing anything, any kind of content onto your Facebook page and having people see that. So how do you want that right. to work? And not to say it, it can't work, but it'll work through paid. So you're going to have to pay right. to get there. Fine. Publishers. 
publishers are going to lose all this too unless you want to pay pay the only ones that are going to get any kind of organic uh rankings of any kind uh where they're going to get uh, uh people to see that without having to pay are the ones that facebook is paying to produce content the the, the game is fixed folks if you're not part right. of who facebook is currently underwriting you are not going to break through unless you pay the master the money that's right and that's, that's right. it well that's yeah, it. well, it's, it's it's as simple as this, right? So you know that um, you know that game you play at a Chinese food restaurant where you append every fortune in your fortune cookie within bed, right? Yes, you've I, done this. Yes, yes. I, I'm not I the have, only. I've one heard of. This, right? I've heard of. Okay. This. you've told oh, I've me. Heard, about this heard, this I've heard. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right. This is a this is a, a, a fairly well worn <laughs> idea, <laughs> folks. That you that you take a fortune cookie, you open it up, and you get the fortune out, and you append it within bed, and it makes it funny. What I want you to do is do read through the values document, and at the end of every value, just append as long as you pay for it. So the number one value, connecting people with their friends and family, as long as you pay for it. The document says the number two value is providing information like news stories, as long as you pay for it. And number three is providing entertainment like Facebook Live videos and funny videos, as long as you pay for it. That's all you need to do to understand Facebook in a nutshell. Yeah, I actually would uh, would buy Facebook stock off of this because they're yeah nobody they're, no there there's right now there's nobody to compete with Facebook that I'm seeing. I mean, you could throw Snapchat up there all day long, and you could say, oh, they're the ones that are that are gonna battle with Facebook in live video or whatever. That's fine. That I mean, I don't think so. Yeah, see, to me, to me, I'm and I know, and I've said this before on a previous show, and I'm I know I'm in the minority here. Don't get it. Don't get the Snapchat thing at all. Think it's a fad. I think I think you have to be under fifty. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm that's, sorry. That's I almost throw that that's almost there. certainly for sure. Yeah, that is almost certainly the tr- case. It doesn't, yes, it doesn't matter under. though. It doesn't matter because they are just making money hand over <laughs> fist here. They're gonna continue to do it. And nobody can do anything about it. If they if they said tomorrow, look, it is zero. Which it will be. They're just doing it slowly. They're just they're just turning the knob slowly. It's like instead of just cutting you off, it's you know they're it's like the patch, right? It's like the nicotine right. patch. <laughs> well, it's like you have to that, get off of the nicotine. Or the dial on. I can't cut yeah, cold no, it's turkey. The, it's so, the, the dial on the pain machine and from uh, from Princess Bride. Oh, We've only turned it up to five. We don't know what <laughs> happens if we turn it up any. <laughs> just take a year off of your life. <laughs> Please be honest. It is full science. <laughs> oh, God, I love that All movie. right. All right. All right. Um, we have, have a wonderful else? sponsor. Oh, we have we a sponsor do. to talk about. We do. Absolutely. We have an excellent sponsor. Uh, who is our sponsor? We have a new sponsor. A I new can't believe sponsor it. I love new about. sponsors. I love yeah. all sponsors, actually. Please welcome our good friends at EpiServer, uh, which is offering a new Epi ebook. EpiServer. I love those guys. I I've, know. I've known those guys. For, I mean, I, that goes back to my old school days. It, it absolutely does. I knew you would. Uh, and and yeah. by the way, I know you'll like uh, this book, Robert. It's called, this ebook is The Four Steps to Simplify the Digital Experience. Anytime I see there anything with experience in the experience, title, I think right? that you dig it the yeah. most. 
As a digital mar- marketer, you face both external and internal challenges from declining organic reach which, on social, which <laughs> yeah, we just hello. talked about, yeah, right. to software that issues. segued nicely. <laughs> exactly. To software issues that saps your team's productivity. At the same time, you're taxed with managing content that increases lead count, boosts sales, or raises customer loyalty. Now, in this guide, we're going to go through four fundamental steps of the digital customer experience, and each step is accompanied by content concrete examples to help you with your customer's digital experience. So you will learn how to increase organic traffic acquisition on desktop and mobile, decrease the bounce rate for first-time visitors, and improve your digital marketing through smarter content management. You need to download this excellent resource today at cmi.media slash PNR138B. It's the first time we've had a B, by the way, Robert. This is a big deal. This is cmi.media <laughs> slash PNR138B to download this. And please do support them. It's a great asset. And, of course, we want you to support our sponsors. And thanks again to our new friends at Episerver for sponsoring PNR. This is a and Rose with this old marketing. <laughs> fantastic. Yes, it's, it is fantastic. You Thank you to Episerver. I have known those guys for forever, it seems, and have watched their journey. And as they've become, you know, they've, they've really, really just, um, they've gotten hot lately. So good to see them. Good to see them and, and good to see their content uh, make its way into Polizia Well, now they're, now they're taking the it to the big, the big time. They're they, taking it up they're, another level. Taking they're taking it, it up yeah. to 11 if you will. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Taking it to the, what's the thing from the Godfather? You take it to the, ah, uh, oh, that's going to bug me. Somebody will tweet at me. Taking it, you take it to the, to the uh, mattresses. Take it to the mattresses. To the mattresses, yeah. Take it to the mattresses. All right. Uh, it is now time for your favorite part of the show, folks. It is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that, Oh, makes us feel like we have to get up at uh, 4 a.m. and catch a plane or makes us feel like we get to sleep in on the extra hour during the daylight savings time time. Um, and so let's see. I guess I you are first. You're going. No, I go first because I have this old marketing. That's right. This week, you go so, first. That's right. Yeah. So here we go. I you know, I don't know that this is a rant or a rave. Really, it is. You know, it is more. It's very short. It's very, very short thing. Um. It's it's just a I guess an observation here. It was an article that I read. You know, as you can tell, um, I spent a lot of time in the Wall Street Journal over the last week and a half. Um, this article also comes from the Wall Street Journal, and the that's at least what we'll link to in the show notes anyway. And it and the headline is that Vice, BuzzFeed, tread on Madison Avenue's turf. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, you've heard me say this, you've heard Joe say this, you've heard us both say this, and talk about the idea that. You know, we have seen the sort of trend of content marketing, you know, where brands, product companies, service companies have started to look more like media companies, whether if you listen to today's show, basically they're buying media companies or, you know, sponsoring media companies and basically launching content brands as media properties or any other show where we've talked about the idea of growing your own, building your own digital media, something worth subscribing to, building an audience, et cetera, et cetera. Occasionally, we also talk about this idea of, well, what if media companies start acting a little more like product companies? And they start, you know, basically starting to offer different lines of, of revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And then we start to also talking about the idea of publishers 
becoming more like services and agencies and really disintermediating or disrupting the relationship between agencies and their marketing clients. And this article, here we are, finally hitting the mainstream media, let's call it that, Wall Street Journal. Here's an article saying exactly that, what we've been talking about for so long. And they talk about, in this case, Vice specifically, they're talking about Vice, how it is really starting to create you know, content and programs and media buys just like an, a Madison Avenue agency. And they they actually talked to a couple of agency um, spokespeople here, one from RPA, which is a big ad agency, and the Tim Leak there, who's the senior vice president of growth and innovation uh, at RPA. He's quoted as saying, look, the entire marketing landscape is changing and disrupting agencies. Yes, publishers creating content can be a little bit of a threat, he says, positioning himself. I'm just adding that little bit in there. It becomes harder to manage an ad campaign when you have someone stepping into our territory. You have less control over the ecosystem. And I've just got news for Tim, which is it's not your territory anymore. That's the whole point, is, is that they're not stepping into your territory. You are ceding your territory to publishers. And so if and we start to see trends, things like WPP making investments in publishing, if we don't start to see, and agencies don't really start to disrupt themselves, we're going to start to see this becoming more and more and more the case, I think. And I think publishing has a real opportunity now to really get into a leverage point with agencies where before they were sort of, you know, at the beck and call of the media buyer, they may now be able to sort of switch that around where agencies may become, quite frankly, the content creators for pretty ads that, quite frankly, feed the strategic content that's getting created for the brand. And so the strategic advisor may move from the agent. And I know this is going way out there. I, I, I recognize that the guy that sat in your front row, Joe, would look at me and like I am have four heads and say, this isn't, don't, what are you talking about? Agencies aren't going to lose their strategic advisor position. But I certainly wouldn't want to bet on that. I certainly wouldn't want to bet on me being an agency sitting on the sidelines and doing nothing while the game is getting played. And in classic Game of Thrones style, you're going to end up like Ned Stark. So, you know, I, I think it's time for agencies to finally look at the Wall Street Journal is now saying this and writing articles about it. Maybe it's time that they'll start paying attention. So that's that's my that's my commentary. I don't think it's far fetched at all, Robert. I think that <laughs> if you sometimes I'll say just forget about what you've done in the past as an agency. Let's just start fresh today. And what should we be doing? What right. makes the most sense for our customers to do? Yeah. And this makes perfect sense. And then, I mean, in publishers, I mean, everybody's getting defensive. Instead of getting defensive, just figure out what you've got to do. And I get it, right? I mean, you, you, you and I have both been in large companies like this where we're, we're scared of everybody encroaching on our turf. But if you can just move past that for a second, you can say, wow, there is a larger, big, bigger business model and a bigger opportunity now than ever before, instead of thinking that the internet is bad and all this disruption is not good for us. Sure. So, or, or quite frankly, one that protects the business model that we have. That's what the most interesting, just going back to the, the conversation we were having earlier in the show, none of this prescribes that people should sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're not saying stop advertising tomorrow. We're not saying stop direct marketing. We're not saying stop SEO or stop using cold call sales or stop doing anything. Yeah. What we're suggesting is is that this new thing that you've been, quite frankly, snickering at and or paying no attention to as it grows over in the corner has, quite frankly, become big enough now that it needs to be paid attention to. 
And if you pay attention to it, it can help you protect the advertising, the media buying, the strategy, the all the yep. other things that you're doing for your clients so well. Just pay attention. It's actually happening. And own it. Get good at it. And actually differentiate yourself from what's going on in the marketplace. Well, it's just for sheer sake of diversification. It's smart. Right. Because right. When I, when I talked to this, this other guy at this event that I was at, and I said, we, we've put all of our eggs in one basket, which is really just advertising. A little bit maybe traditional PR, but let's just say we're spending so much on advertising. I said, if you were in a 401k plan and you had all of your money in company stock, somebody would come to you and say, that's not a good plan. Right. You should really diversify. Because you don't know what's up and what's down and all those types of things to protect your money. And I said, this is the same thing. I said, you'd just be smart to do this just to diversify, just in case, because we don't know where the market's going to go. So why don't we put some of that ad dollars over here and make it work over here? Because in the next five years, this this side of the market might be up and advertising might be down. Exactly. Well, and and one other, just on on that same note, I had a conversation. I did an off-site um, last week, and I was talking to a CEO of a B two B company, and it's this is what I've come to these days in terms of the the whole business case thing, right? So the CEO of this B two B company said to me, "I need you to explain to me the business case of of doing strategic content marketing or just doing you know getting strategic about content. Give me the business case." And I said. It's very simple. I said, I'm not even going to talk to you about leads or more leads or sales or revenue. I said, I'm not even going to talk to you about that. I said, is your team producing more or less content this year? Oh, way more. Great. You think they're going to produce more content next year? Oh, way more content next year. Why are they doing it? Well, because they've got to feed all these channels. Great. Okay, understood. They're, they're doing more than they did last year. They're going to do more next year. At what point are you spending money that you have no idea why you're spending it? I said, if only to get organized. Yeah. About, around it. If the, if, if the only thing you do is get organized around content creation, that should be business case enough. Because if they're creating more of it, at some point it becomes a cost that's worth paying attention to. And so is it pay, a cost worth paying attention to now? Or is it a cost paying attention to four years from now? I'd rather invest in the strategic process now before it becomes a problem. So just answer that question and there's your business case. Yeah, I love that one. I mean, I use that all the time as well in my little why exercise. I'm like, yeah. do you even know why you're creating content for these these channels? You probably don't. And I always, I always say, yes, we talked about this one last week. You B2B manufacturing company, why are you creating all that content for Facebook? You have no clue. You don't even know anymore. You're just doing it because you started it three years ago and you just kept doing it. Right. So anyways. All right. That was fantastic. Uh, all right. So mine is a little bit of a homegrown rave. And this is a rave. Yay. This is a rave for CMI team. It's a rave for you. It's a rave for our listeners because what we've done here uh, is we've updated our history of content marketing infographic. So if everyone... Woot. If everyone remembers, we started this in 2012, and we did the history of content marketing, brief history of content marketing. Of course, John Deere's The Furrow Magazine was in there, but I really felt that it wasn't complete. And of course, as we started PNR This Old Marketing, we have This Old Marketing, which Robert's going to do here in a second, for his, but we, we started to unearth, with your help, with listeners' help, all these amazing 
examples. So the new one is just tremendous. It goes all the way back to 1732. And of course, you remember when we covered Ben Franklin publishing yeah, the Poor Richard's Almanac. And the yeah. goal was to promote the, the printing business. And then, you know, we go on to 1867 and the Hartford Steam Boiler Inspection and Insurance Company debuted the locomotive. You remember that one? Of course. Uh, yeah. And that was, uh, I think that was the oldest that we know of, the oldest company magazine continuously published under the yeah. same name in the United States, even older than, than the Furrow Magazine. And, of course, then we've got 1882, the Edison Electric Lighting Company Bulletin, spreading the word about the benefits of electric lighting. And that, of course, became General Electric. And on and on and on. Uh, I think you mentioned this was probably six months ago, where in 1888, Johnson & Johnson launched a, a publication called Modern Methods of Antiseptic Wound Treatment. That's right. Remember yeah, that yeah, one? Remember you that found one. that yeah, one? I remember that one. That was and a I, great one. So I just I, – I wanted to throw a rave out to the team, to you, to, this, to, the, uh, uh, to the listeners, because we really, I think – come up with a with an asset that can help us kind of figure out where we've been in content marketing that this thing has been around for a while and what i love about this more than anything robert is really for as much disruption as we've seen over the last she's almost 300 years from when this started it's not a heck of a lot different the model is pretty much the same. We're targeting an audience. We're developing valuable, relevant, compelling content because we want to see a behavior change at the end that's going to help us sell more products and services in some way through some amazing customer experience. And that's really all it is. But I think it's helpful to know that this is not content marketing is not really all that experimental. And here we are no. still fighting the battle. Yeah, this whole exactly. episode is really about fighting that battle, battle internally. And here it is. Somebody came along the lines in these companies, and they were content champions. And they said, hey, this is something that we really need to do. It's important. And then they did it. So anyways, um, it's the History of Content Marketing infographic. We'll put it into the, the show notes. And of course, it's available at contentmarketinginstitute.com. But uh, if you get a chance, share it with as many of the people on your team as possible. And if you ever need background information on what the heck content marketing is, it's a really good way to visualize it because you really exactly. see that, oh, yeah. hey, this thing is being done by in a lot of different ways, a lot of different industries. And it's not all that different, these companies creating these content brands. So I just think it's truly fantastic that we were able to put yeah. this together. And hats really off to wonderful. Michelle Lynn and the editorial team. Oh, my gosh. Uh, to just, Jody the Harris. The amount of work that they had to, to do to do this is just unbelievable. And then J.K. Yeah. Kalinowski, of course, of put course. together the design. It was It's so good. Total team effort. Absolutely. Well, speaking of this old marketing, um, we have our example, of course, every week. And of course, this week is no exception. And we have a really good one. When you actually suggested this one as a um, as an example, it, it brought back so many memories for me because so I mean, now were you, uh, you know, growing up, were you a, a Tower Records fan? I, you know, I was I, I was not a big fan of Tower Records. And maybe it's because I grew up in this town of sandusky and you grew up in hollywood I, well, well you know, i well so yeah, that was later. i didn't know about tower records quite frankly till i moved to la now i moved to la right after college and so and it was quite literally walking distance from my apartment and when i lived in hollywood and it was and we used to walk down there all the time and just and browse through the record i mean it was fantastic um, you know, so Tower Records was everywhere. I mean, it was one of the big mega stores that, that you know, retailed records and CDs and all sorts of stuff. Um, it started in 1960. I didn't know this until we started looking into this as an example. 
started in 1960 um, and grew and grew and grew and really sort of explosive. This is sort of a classic cautionary tale, really, of growing beyond your means too quickly. You know, so what happened was it started in the 60s and very, grew very slowly, really, until the sort of mid to late 90s and then just blew up. They got into the book business and there was Tower Books and <clears throat> did all kinds of things and ultimately went bankrupt. Um, they were a billion dollar company in, in 1999 and by 2006 they were bankrupt. So it's a, it's an amazing cautionary tale actually, but at the height of their sort of popularity and expansion and all of this, the early eighties, um, just actually just before when I was in high school and just before I moved out to LA, they had a magazine. And by the way, huge hat tip here to Park Howell, who um, is the Business of Story podcast, a great podcast, by the way, um, that you were guesting on. And he actually suggested this, this uh, Pulse magazine. Um, so Pulse magazine was Tower Records magazine. And they started it out as a, you know, a music magazine. And it was a music magazine that was given away, um, started by a VP of publishing. His name was Mike Ferrace, I think is how you pronounce his name. Basically, it had record reviews. It had interviews. They, had, they sold advertising. So just to the point of this show, Marketing is Profit Center. Here was a magazine that actually made money. And in fact, in 1993, so this is 10 years after it started publishing, BMG, which at that point was a huge record company, they did a whole, they used to do CD samplers in the magazine. So you'd go and you'd get the magazine and there'd be like the CD sampler of all the new artists that were coming up. And then of course in the magazine you could see when they're going to be on tour and when their album's coming out and all kinds of stuff. Of course this is pre-digital, pre-internet, so all this stuff is was really the kind of thing that you longed for. They sold it on the newsstand. You could buy it in the newsstand or you could actually get it for free if you walked into the store uh, and, and picked it up. 1992, they had national distribution across the entire country. Cover price was three bucks that you could buy it for. And ultimately, the magazine went all the way out, so it peaked at 280,000 subscribers. Um, so all of them paying money. So you can do the math and see how much money they were making there just from subscriptions, not only from the advertising. And then ultimately in 2002, as the business really started to fade and they started to go into their throes of bankruptcy um, as they were going, that they discontinued the magazine. Um, 222 issues um, was then the last one um, appeared at the very end of 2002 in Pulse Magazine. And it's just a really great example of this old marketing. I wonder if they could have sold that, actually. I mean, it was just a tough time. I mean, if you remember 2002 and how horribly everything was after 9-11. That's right. And, right. And well, just, there's a fascinating documentary, actually, um, that I haven't seen. It's on my list to watch in my Netflix queue. Um, Colin Hanks, the Tom Hanks' son, did a documentary called All Things Must Pass. Um, which is the whole documentary about Tower Records. Oh, I about the way I have to check it. it. Yeah, yeah about awesome. how it started and about how it got uh, launched. And, and I guess, and I haven't seen it yet, so I can't really speak to it, but I guess what they say is that it really wasn't the internet and digital and all the sort of disruption that came out of the late 90s that did it in. It was, I guess, a whole bunch of mismanagement and egos and all sorts of stuff. So so I guess check out the documentary. It would be interesting. Well, you will never have that problem because we don't have the <laughs> ego thing to worry about between you and I. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that. And there's, and there's that, yes. Yeah. Um, so... Next week, let's see. We're going to have to record again early for the next show because we have our CMIT meeting coming up. 
That's right. We do. It's it's, it's going to be fun. It's going it's to be, be fun. And we can't. We have to make sure we do the podcast early because there's very serious business that needs to happen at our team retreat. We can't very we very very yeah, focused very serious on growing business. the yes, business. Very very serious at the business. pool bar. And that business lies in the bottom of a margarita glass. I think is where that serious business. But, uh, hey, is. it's networking and team bonding and all that stuff. That's what that's what it's all about. That's how you yeah, grow a business. Exactly right. With, with exactly tequila. right. Yeah. So we will be recording early. Okay. So, and anything else going on this week for you? No, I'm I'm heads down. I'm heads down working. We're going to obviously do some things tomorrow for the fourth, and then uh, yeah, and then heads down to weave till I fly out for the team meeting. It's, right. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. We'll have a great fourth tomorrow. I know I will, as well. And uh, and then I'll talk to you. Before we leave for the trip. That is it, folks. So for Joe Polizzi, this is Robert Rose. We hope you guys have a wonderful 4th of July. For those of you who celebrate independence, for those of you in the UK, well, I guess we did our Americ set, if you could call it that, uh, (laughs) a few hundred years ago. And if you like this episode, number 138, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. Or when you subscribe, if you subscribe... Please let us know that you've subscribed and leave us a review, won't you? We need a little few more reviews up there on that lovely iTunes thing. And always a good review. If you if you like this show, it's called PNR's This Old Marketing. And if you don't like this show, it's called Mark Schaefer's something. I don't know what it is. Anyway, no, just a little joke. We love we Mark. Love, we kid because we love. All right. Story ideas, of course, at the hashtag This Old Marketing on Twitter. We love the story ideas. Please hashtag us up and let us know. Tweet us up. And if you've got a question of of course, you can always send us an email at thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes, which will be available in the Monday night when we publish. And of course, on the show post on Saturdays when we publish at thisoldmarketing.com. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.